The following audio is from Citizens Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. If you're interested in getting involved with our family, visit citizenscharlotte.com connect. Our teaching text this evening comes from Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has light shone. You have been multiplied, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, church family, good to be with you. Good to see you. If we haven't met before, my name is Garrison. I'm an elder candidate here, excited for tonight. Um, if you have a Bible, you can open up to Isaiah chapter 9. We'll be there again. Um, if you're uh, catching up with us or hopping in for the first time, this is our uh, third week of our Advent series as we're getting ready for Christmas. Um, each week, uh, we've been going through Isaiah 9, looking at different uh, descriptors in the prophecy of the coming Messiah, the coming Savior, as described in Isaiah 9. And we do that because we want to reorient as we get ready for Christmas. That uh, the hope of this season uh, is not found in the fact that you're going to get a couple days off at the end of the year, or things slowing down, or you get some time with family and your, uh, and your kids, or getting a little extra cash from mom. It's ultimately found in a person in Christ. Um, so far we've seen Isaiah describe the Messiah as the wonderful counselor, and last week the mighty God. And this week we'll be looking at the third name for the coming Christ, and that he will be the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. I'm going to pray for us, and we'll get started. Father God, we, we are thankful um, for the lead-up to Christmas, that we would long and hope for what you've promised, that there's a coming Savior, that Jesus, you've, you've come, you've begun what you've promised in your kingdom, and that one day you'll bring it to completion. Pray that you would be with us tonight. You would help us to, to long for and hope for the peace that you've promised. Pray it in your name, Jesus. Amen. I want to start a little different. I want you to imagine a perfect day. Humor me. You can close your eyes if you want, but think about it. It's Tuesday morning. It's a little cold outside. You're bundled up in bed. You wake up at 5. No, you slept in. You slept until 6 o'clock because you're a productive adult. But it's not a big deal because you slept amazing. You slept so good that you woke up with a smile on your face. 
said, thank you, Jesus. You roll over to your spouse. You got in a fight last night, so you kind of went to bed on weird terms. They wake up and they look at you to say, good morning, dear. What a wonderful day to be in covenant together. <laughs> you have a quiet time together. It's the best quiet time ever quieted. You pull out your phone, as we all do, next in the morning. You get on your Instagram. And you're scrolling through. And you are overwhelmed with a sense of joy. As you look at your friends, your family, your coworkers, you just think, I'm so lucky to know these people. You feel no need to compare yourself. You don't feel any insecurity, just joy. You continue to scroll, and, uh, and something jumps out at you. Uh, a headline, a graphic. And it reads... Republicans and Democrats come to a respectful, unified agreement on all current political issues. You read another one. It says world leaders ban all forms of slavery, oppression, and war. And another one, it says billionaires and world leaders enact plans to eliminate hunger and poverty. You put your phone down and you think, this really is going to be a good day. You go wake up your kids. They rub the sleep out of their eyes. I said, good morning, Father. Good morning, Mother. I am so lucky to have you as a parent. Thank you for keeping me alive. I'm going to cook you breakfast this morning. And you're like, wow, yesterday he couldn't even speak in complete sentences. This is a joke. This is good. You have a family devotional time. You go to work. Now, work is normally marked by anxiety, not today. You and your team, your boss, you're connected, you feel purposeful, you're crushing it. You just feel that, you know, even though my work is stressful, God's in control, I'm good. On the way home, you get stuck in traffic. But, you know, that's no big deal. You know why? Because I get more time to pray. Get more time to pray, and guess what? I strike up, you strike up a conversation with the car next to you. They're coming to group tonight. Look at you, you little missionary. Good job. Fast forward to group. Now, normally, you think these people are fine at best on a good night. They're fine. There's like five other things you'd rather do on a Tuesday or Wednesday. And you know, we're supposed to be family, but that's a little unrealistic a lot of the time. These people are okay. Not tonight. You walk in the door, you feel at home. You feel at peace. No social anxiety. No conflict. No weirdness with that person that always has the comment about the thing. Where everybody's like, why are you saying the thing about the thing? We all know the person. If you don't know the person, I have bad news for you. <laughs> no tension between you and that person that you kind of reconciled with, but it's still kind of awkward. None of that. Tonight you just feel at peace. You drift off to sleep that night, feeling that all is right in the world, and all is right in your relationships and in your life. It's a good day. Can you imagine that, actually living it? Can you imagine a day where relational fallout and tension is, is not a thing anymore? Where the headlines are encouraging, where the world is actually a good place to live, where there's no more fighting or war, where your life is actually the way that it should be. It's hard to think about. It's hard to even imagine. But what it is is a day full of peace. It's a day of perfect peace. Uh, this at the core is what every single person in the world wants and what no one really has. The question is not, do people actually want this? 
That's not where the problem lies. The problem lies in how do we actually do it. There's millions of different ways to go about trying to get peace. Think of all the different people and news outlets and blog posts, social media stuff that gets thrown your way on how we're supposed to go about bringing peace on earth. What we're supposed to do about oppression, injustice, violence, brokenness. How many times a day do you see something about that? Where if the 1% would just give up their wealth, stop going to space all the time, and actually help feed the poor. About big government, little government. Get rid of capitalism and tax the rich. No, get rid of taxes. Get rid of the guns. <laughs> no, we need more guns. And it's not just about the macro issues. It can be as simple and as micro as in order for me to have peace, I need to live in a different city. I need a new job. I need more money. If only I had better friends or family or, or kids or a spouse, whatever. Um, what's it going to take? What's it going to take? How are we going to do it? Well, the culture's pretty simple. It says if you have the right circumstances, the right government, the right amount of freedom, the right type of people in your life, you'll have peace. It's a peace cocktail. You put together all the right ingredients, you take out all the bad stuff, you have a wonderful peace beverage, an old-fashioned peace. But we take God out the mix. God does not fit there. In fact, he's a problem. In other words, our culture wants the kingdom of peace without the prince of peace. We want the kingdom of peace without the prince of peace. I think we all know how it's working. We can, we can feel it in, in our world, in our context, in our city, whatever. We can feel how it's working. It's not going well. And it's not because the solutions necessarily are bad by themselves. They can be, but not necessarily. It's the fact that they're too shallow. They don't actually get to the heart of the issue. They'll always fall short. And my goal tonight, as we talk about becoming Prince of Peace, is to show you what we ultimately need for peace on earth and what we long for is not one of these solutions that gets thrown out in front of us all the time, but it's actually the Prince of Peace, Christ. So Isaiah chapter 9 is going to paint that picture for us, what peace actually looks like and what it will take to bring. So let's hop in, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. It says, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought in, into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who have dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. So at the time now this is written, Isaiah is prophesying to the Israelites. What's going on in, in the nation of Israel is being torn apart by a war with Assyria. They've lost horribly to the point where the Assyrians are actually capturing Israel, uh, Israelites and sending them back to Assyria. The, the nation is literally being ripped apart. It's a time of, of anguish, of despair, of hopelessness. They're, they're being oppressed immensely. These are people that need freedom. They need hope. And Isaiah's words are exactly that. Now, prophecy, which is what we're reading tonight, is a little complex, and it has some unique implications in the Bible. The, the big questions are normally, who is this actually written to, so we know, and when are these things actually going to happen? When's it actually going to happen? 
So what's being prophesied here really has weight in three different times. So it holds weight in the present for the Israelites. It, it holds weight in the near future and in the distant future. So the Israelites know what Isaiah is saying to them holds weight in the present. That it means that God sees what's going on with them in their present circumstances and that he's ordained a time and a place to rescue them. And this promise actually comes true for them. It actually comes true. It's, it's been fulfilled. Years later, Persia actually overthrows the Assyrian Empire and sends the Israelites home. That's one layer of prophetic fulfillment. But there's more. Because the Israelites didn't just need freedom from the Assyrians. They needed freedom from their sin. So Isaiah word, Isaiah's words were partly fulfilled when the Israelites were sent home, but there was more. We had to look to the near future, to the time when the Messiah would come for the first time. On this side of the prophecy, we know what that looks like. It's when Jesus actually comes to earth. That's the second time. And there's a third piece, which we'll get into a little later, and that's the far distant future, when, when Christ will bring finality to all of the brokenness in the world. We know this as the second coming. That's a little bit about what's going on here and when it's going to happen. So Isaiah sees the future promise of the Christ. And this is what he says about what it's going to look like when he comes. Verse 3. It says, You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at a harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. So Isaiah says when the Christ comes, it's going to be as if there's this massive harvest, a season of plenty. There, there will be no more people in need. This will be a, a season of plenty, of economic prosperity, when no one is wondering how they're going to eat, when no one is wondering how they're going to make ends meet, because there's more than enough for all. Keep going. Verse 4 says, For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Not, are just, uh, not just uh, needs going to be met, but actually the Christ is going to do away with oppression. All oppression. He's going to break the oppressor's rod. No more oppressive regimes. No more racism. No more people getting abused, enslaved, treated as subhuman. It's all gone. No more genocide. The Messiah will bring endless provision and an end to oppression. And there's more. Look at verse 5. It says, For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Um, I'm a big Star Wars fan. And if we've met, we've talked about it. Um, if you know anything about Star Wars, it's six amazing movies and three really bad spinoffs. Um, I love it. I love it. It's really, uh, if, 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 you've, if you've watched it, it's, it's all about good versus evil, Jedi versus Sith. At the very end of the sixth movie, The Return of the Jedi, is, is probably my favorite scene in the, in the whole series, where we've watched for six movies, evil just keeps winning, Anakin falls to the dark side, spoiler, you should have watched by now. <laughs> evil just keeps winning, and, and finally we get a glimmer of hope with Luke, Han, and Leia, and they, after three movies, they win. They finally win, and we get this scene at the very end where a multi-planet party erupts. We zoom in on this little moon with all these teddy bear aliens, and they're, they're dancing around these huge bonfires 
where they're, they're burning all of the weapons used by the bad guys, all of the armor. They've literally made drums out of the helmets as they're singing and dancing. And we zoom in on our main characters and they're laughing and hugging for the first time. They've won. Evil's gone. We get to celebrate. That little Star Wars scene is a little bit like what's going on here. The image is that the warrior's boots and garments and weapons have been rolled, that have been rolled in the blood of war from the fallen, from the wounded, are now being thrown as fuel of, into the fire. People are dancing around, worshiping and rejoicing in what the Messiah has done. There's no more war. There's no more darkness, no more oppression. There's joy. There's restoration. There's safety. This is, uh, this is what biblical peace is. This is what biblical peace is. The actual word for peace in Hebrew is shalom. We've talked about this before. It means way more than just the absence of conflict, right? Like many times when we talk about peace, it's just kind of the absence of the bad. But this is way more than that. It's the presence of everything good that's supposed to exist in your life and in your relationships with God, with other people, with yourself. As a philosopher and theologian, Cornelius Plantinga says, he says, shalom is universal flourishing, wholeness and delight. Shalom is the way things are supposed to be. It's this picture of wholeness, completeness. So uh, sometimes the way it's described is like a, a fabric that's perfectly woven together where there's no missing threads or frayed threads or a, a building stone, like a foundation without any cracks and it's perfectly smooth. So the core idea of shalom is it's like a, a brick wall of human intricacies where life is complex, full of moving parts and relationships and situations. And when any of those things break down or is out of alignment, it's like missing bricks, cracked bricks. What happens? It's going to fall apart. Your shalom will break down. At, a, at both micro and macro levels, we know what the Bible is saying about shalom in our world is true. That's full of broken shalom. And the, the Prince of Peace is here to take care of that, to restore shalom. This is actually the peace that people want. Underneath all of the, the different ideas, we all want shalom, where, where grief and anguish are replaced with joy and hope, where there's plenty for all, where there's no more greed, no more mistreatment and oppression, where there's equity and equality. There's no more relational tension. In fact, there's reconciliation and restoration all around you. It's a beautiful picture. But it brings us back to the first question. How is it going to happen? Look back at verse 6. We'll see what the Bible says. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of peace. It's the hope of Christmas. It's the hope of Christmas. It's the, the Prince of Peace is coming. It's, it literally means the Prince of Shalom is coming. Look what it says. It says the government shall be upon his shoulder. And I want you to pause there because I think the Bible just said something that's going to make us a little uncomfortable. If you zoom out a little bit, we're living in 2021. We're sitting in a church in America in the South and I just told you all of the different ways that our culture gets this wrong. And the Bible just said that the way to peace on earth is government. Uh-oh. I just said that the way to peace is government. Now you might say, hold on a second. 
didn't really sign up to be that, uh, that, part, that type of church. And we're in the South, not really here for that. It sounds crazy. And I would say that that's because all we've seen is, is broken governments that are led by sinners. They're filled with broken people trying to, to recreate shalom. But it won't work. That's why no single form of government has ever worked as promised, from, from dictatorships to communism to democracy. They all fail because they're built on the backs of sinners who are powering them. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying government is bad. I like our government for the most part. I like democracy. That's what I vote for. But it hasn't worked. It hasn't pulled off peace yet. And even if a human government was perfect, it wouldn't be enough because it couldn't change a heart. It couldn't change your heart. But the solution for peace on earth is government. It just has to be a completely different kind. It has to be a completely different kind. The hope people put... Have you ever thought about this? The hope people put in governmental regimes, where we see this in, in our country every four years, where there's all this stuff because everybody's looking for a new leader, a new president that's going to fix all the mistakes of the last person. All of that tension and anxiety, all of that emotion, some of it is actually correct. It's just misguided and misplaced. It's going to have to be a different type of government. One that's not actually led by a sinner, but a sinless government. One that can change sinful hearts. One that can restore shalom so that we can actually become a people of peace. Um, this is why the promises of Isaiah 9 are not just Christmas nostalgia. They're beautiful because Jesus is going to bring that type of government. And it won't be democracy or socialism or whatever. It will be a kingdom. One that's not kingless like we want, but one with a king, a perfect king that will not only rule, but he will be able to change all of our hearts. He will be able to transform the world from the inside out. And Isaiah says it's not just going to be for the Israelites, but for all. Look back at verse 7. It says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. It says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. God has promised that there will be no end to the spread of Jesus' kingdom. That's going to spread and spread and spread and spread, and wherever it goes, peace is going with it. Now, you might raise your hand. You'd be like, wait a second. Where is it? What happened? Didn't Jesus already do this? I, I, I thought this was supposed to happen, but I still see murder and theft and genocide and racism and all this other stuff. So what happened? Did he mess up? Well, not really. So what we talked about earlier, there's layers to prophecy. It matters for the present, the near future, and the distant future. And what we're living in right now is what theologians call the already, not yet. It's the time between Jesus' first coming and his second. It's going to be the time where right now his, his kingdom has been instituted and spreading, but one day it will come in full, and we look to that future with hope and with longing. The good news is we don't have to wonder if it's going to happen. We just wonder when. It's not an if, it's a when. If you're anything like me, that's still hard to grasp. Where you're like, yeah, 
I've heard that one before. I've heard that sermon before. I've read that passage. When is it going to happen, though? I'm tired. I keep seeing these headlines. I keep living this way. It's so hard. When is it going to happen? When's he coming back? And that, my friends, is the tension of Advent. It's what Christians have done for thousands of years. It's this tension between the already and the not yet. It's what Advent is all about. It's about longing. Longing for the day when Christ is going to come. Where we long for shalom. We long for the Prince of Peace to come back and undo all of the brokenness in the world. We feel it. We see what's wrong. And it's not all hopeless. We see the good. You can't miss the good. We see glimpses of the kingdom breaking in, that Jesus has come. Whenever you see two Christians reconciling, confessing their sin, that is the prince of peace breaking in. When nonprofits and neighbors move towards the brokenness in our city to fight injustice, to bring about peace, that's the prince of peace breaking in. When you see marriages restored, families healed, Militant leaders putting down their weapons and signing peace treaties. That is the prince of peace breaking in. It is happening. And we still long. It's still not here in the full. We long for the day when his kingdom will be brought to fullness. But we do have good news. We don't long as people without hope. We don't long as people without hope. We hope because we know God's promises are true. And if you ever doubt it, look to the cross. When you doubt it, when you feel hopeless, when you're longing and you're like, there's no way this is going to happen, look to the cross. In case you have any doubt how committed God is to this, how zealous He is to bring His kingdom, the cross is the proof. In the cross, the Prince of Peace laid down His life he was literally given over to oppressive, sinful governments and oppressive, sinful religious institutions. He was rejected by a broken system of power. He died poor and penniless. And he did not stay dead. God's Spirit rose God's sons, and Jesus has conquered death and the grave. We have hope. We have hope. The gospel is our hope. It's our assurance that Jesus will do everything that he says he's going to do. And he laid down his life to guarantee it. Um, real practical. This means that when you see another headline in our city, in our country, of another horrific incident of oppression, of injustice, when you feel hopeless and you don't know what to do, you look to the cross and you say, this is temporary. The Prince of Peace is coming. It means that uh, when we're afraid that there's another strand of a dangerous virus spreading around the world, we know that's temporary, that the Prince of Peace is coming to do away with all disease. It means that there's more to your present and future reality than your feelings. It means that when you're reminded of a relationship that's fallen apart, friend, family, whatever, you know that that is temporary, that there will be a day when the Prince of Peace will heal all wounds and wipe away all tears. It's coming. And now we wait. And now we wait. I want to end our time the same way we started. I want to imagine a perfect day. This time, it's not going to be lame jokes. It's going to be what the Bible describes as a perfect day. 
You can close your eyes, actually, this time. As I read it over you, you can also read behind me. This is the day we await as followers of Jesus. It comes from Isaiah 65. Isaiah 65, verse 17. It says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them they shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall grace together. The lion shall eat straw like an ox, and the dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. Thus says the Lord. This day is coming. The prince of Shalom has come, and he will come again. Let me pray for us. Father God, we, we see and we feel all that is off in the world. There are things that we don't see and feel, yet we know. Um, God, we need you to come soon. Jesus, we are thankful for what you have accomplished on the cross. That you took all of our sin onto yourself. That restoration is coming. Lord, we long for it. We're discouraged and at times hopeless. And yet we know that you are true to your word. Help us to believe, God. Help us to believe. God, uh, encourage us with the glimpses of the kingdom breaking through. Help us to see it in our lives. God, that you've, you've done work in us individually. You're doing work in our church. You're doing work in the world. And yet we know it's just a glimpse. Lord, let us look to the promises of what is to come in Isaiah 9 and 65 and other places in Scripture and be encouraged and see that it's on its way. How we thank you, Jesus, for making it possible. Pray it all in your precious name. Amen.